I've got my little driver by oh, whatever. Stupid. Honestly, Big Sur, like what the heck? There's so is many it? Things. Is so? You are you saying it's not worth upgrading to Big Sur? No, no, I quite like it, but there's things that just are a bit weird, like the volume controls for the audio and whatever is all up in the top bar. There's, oh, right. um, in, the, in the menu bar. Yeah, some of the notifications are way more sticky than I remember them being, and it oh, also yeah. covers up my little um, John Syracuse app. Whatever that's called again, I can't remember. Oh yeah, yeah. Which that, I like. Uh, what's it was called? That, was that not made though for Switch Glass? No, because basically the notifications cover over a little bit of it, so I probably have to move it around or something. I don't know. It's just annoying. Um, and then whenever it doesn't like four K, it just doesn't like four K screens. Or it's my MacBook Pro. Oh, uh, you told me. Yeah. Sixteen. So like, when I plugged it in again, it just started doing something weird. Um, and in the end, I had to plug it into a different port on my Mac, and then it's then it was okay. Weird, weird. Yeah, and like a minute ago when I restarted, it like just the screen was just like came on, then it went blank, and it was like, no, I'm not going to come back on. But it was detected as a screen because I knew the UI was in there, and then I had to un- pl- you know unplug and plug it in. Honestly, wow. I just don't. Do they like? I just think they test. I don't know. Do the, do the people testing the Mac laptops never plug them into like external screens? They must surely, but maybe they're using their own Apple screens. Yeah, but this is like an LG record. It's not they're one of the recommended ones, but it's LG. You'll be using the uh-huh. same uh, anyway, whatever. So I don't know. I, is it worth upgrading? I mean, when the app, when the AirPod switching thing works, like yeah. it's but then wicked. it doesn't always work is the problem so no, i know like so i found that and i was like oh it's annoying right then the other day like it didn't switch i really needed to switch because i need to go on to another meeting and i couldn't even select the airpods i was like it's not even like and i'm like sort of like putting my phone over the other side of the room like opening and shutting the yeah. case like wiggling that, the but, wiggling them yeah. over like yeah. circling them over the mac i was like oh my come on i've had that before where i've had to turn off my phone and stuff yeah. and you know, just to make things work. But when it works, it's um, really good. But I just I know, don't know but what why. a shag. What a shag. Um, okay. Uh, right. What's our conversation topic for the day? You said return to normal or something. Yeah, that was like, that's going to be so far back in the chat, isn't it? it was, no, it was only, only like last week or something. You said. Tell me what I, I said. Didn't that far back in the chat. You said, forget the PM. Oh, it's a shame about um, Daft Punk, wasn't it? Yeah. So Daft Punk, what I think is really interesting about Daft Punk, um, picking up on some of the stuff and tying a few loose ends together. I wrote a blog post about it as well. They were the epitome of kind of like anonymity and hiding and all that kind of stuff. And I, I thought it was really interesting that your students didn't really get felt. They, they, their, their instinctive reaction was that it must be a con, um, you know, and that, that, you know, it must be something like untoward, uh, where in actual fact, it was n- not much different to that Daft Punk thing. It was a kind of anonymity type yeah. thing, you yeah. know. Um, and actually, your students have really inspired me to get back up and running on my Instagram. Um, right. Because, yeah. Well, nobody listens to this podcast, so I can just tell you. <laughs> um, so if you go to, I'll just show you. If I go to my Instagram, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Posted some gray shades. Oh, and nice. Some, those are the disclosure buttons in the yes. corner of the window. But here, can you read there? Go, it, yeah. Well, it's Bor Falsch Sklar et al. 
right? Because originally, failure was like a collective, yeah? Uh, okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it was like a group of people. Um, and then Adrian Shaughnessy, who's quite a well-known graphic designer, yeah, yeah. for anyone listening, um, he interviewed me for iMagazine and Creative Review. And it was all like, you know, my it was it was me right and i i always meant to say to adrian you know when he came over for the conference like do you really owe me a an article somewhere saying that you got it all wrong back in the 90s when you sort of outed me as failure because you know the whole reason of having that name as being like oh no it's not just me it's a bunch of people was due to stress like i you know when you start designing and your work goes into iMagazine or Creative Review or or those books that they used to do, the sampler graphics books, yeah. and you feel under tremendous pressure to, you know, for the rest of your work to be amazing. And I, I just, oh, I found it really difficult. So that's why I had all the fake names. You know, it was like, yeah. I could be this person over here. And if stuff didn't work for whatever reason, I would just blame that person. So, uh, you know, if, if something didn't work, I would say, oh, that's not me. That's that's Christoph Behrens, um, even though that was actually me, um, you know, or that's yeah, yeah. Otaku Yakuza. Um, but it was really interesting to me that you're not all of your students. Some of your students were like, this is a this is a scam, uh, which is ironic as well, because there's a record label called Scam in Manchester. Yes. And its entire thing is like don't really know you know is scam or techra or is it you know um and i i I know some of the stuff behind scam because i used to write record reviews and i've got um scam pre-releases sent to me before with uh, press releases and stuff but they are very very focused on like denying everything you know that's not that's not us you know and so there was a a period in the music industry uh, in the history of the music industry, where people love that kind of stuff, they yeah. they uh, you know they wanted to not be known, and they didn't want to be famous, and they wanted to be, and so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's so basically cool. Basically, prompted me to get back into it that's because great. I was that's telling so cool. my daughter about it, and she thought she was like, "How come these students didn't get it?" You know, they were art students, and I said, "Do you want?" I said, "Well, I've put, I've changed my name on my." on my instagram it used to be christopher murphy and now it's boar falsch sklar at all i was telling about it yesterday on the phone right and i said and i'm just at all and she thought i said i'm just ed bulls <laughs> i was like what you're ed bulls and i was like what what are you talking about and she said you just said i'm ed bulls and i said no 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 i'm at all and she was saying what do you mean ed bulls and i was like e-t-a-l <laughs> So funny. She thought I was saying I was Ed Bulls. Oh, so um, it was so funny. So yeah, cool. you had That's said really you would yeah. So it got me back into it partly because of the reaction from some of your students. Yeah, amazing. Um, also, this is the first time we've spoken since Monday. That was a really good session with that guy Dan, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. Super nice, super nice yeah, guy. Yes. yes. Um, so yeah, Chris managed to get Dan Gray or Danny Gray. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure to call him Dan or Danny because it seems to both. be yeah, I think it seems, it seems to be seems have both on depending on where you're reading. But yeah, so he's the creative chief creative officer, former us, CEO. Yeah, for us two games, and so yeah. we got him in to talk about sort of the blend between business and creativity yeah. and how those two things have to come together. It's really good. Yeah, he literally dropped in for half an hour chat. It was really 
Nice. <laughs> yeah. And then Mills afterwards, who's a founder of uh, co-founder of um, us two games, Mills afterwards sent me a message and said, how'd it go? And I was right. like, oh, uh, it went really well, you know, so it was yeah, great. Cool. It was really, really awesome. What really and what I enjoyed about it was, well, first of all, it was a different perspective. Um, secondly, I had been showing a lot of, because I, I'm just not using my Belfast School of Art slides, I'm trying to make them games focused. Yes. And because I like to talk about things I know and understand, my games pretty much are Monument Valley and Monument Valley <laughs> and Monument <laughs> yeah. Valley, you know. And so yeah. I've been showing a lot of Monument Valley and us two games and there, you know. And so the whole thing where he explained that they had made the screenshot a feature because it was a good way of promoting it. Yeah, I was, it was like, good. Wow, that yeah. never even occurred to me. Yes. Um, no, it's amazing. That was a great way he said, like, yeah, we didn't have a marketing budget. So we, we knew this feature had to be in it because it would be what would market the game. Yeah, amazing. it was amazing. amazing. Never even occurred to me that that was why they sweated so much over it. Um, but it is a real, if you've never played Monument Valley, basically you can take a screenshot um, and then once you do that, you go into a sort of camera mode, which overlays like a rule of thirds type overlay, you know, and it sort of essentially is teaching you composition behind the scenes. And then you can start to move things around and pinch to zoom so you can get the character on the, the intersection of the thirds. And it's just a really nice little touch. Um, and I've never seen it in any other game. Uh, no. no, but it sounds like an Alba, which I've got, I've downloaded, but I haven't played, has obviously it, got it, photography in it. That's what he was talking about, which I know is you collect photos because you're trying to, you're like an environmental. Are you trying to repair things in Alba? No, that's Assemble with Care. Oh, so okay. So Alba what's is the difference the one, then Alba, Alba? Is, Alba is like a third person. You're like a little girl who's like, I, I haven't played it, so I can't talk too much about it, but... I've heard about it. Um, is it in Apple Arcade? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need Apple Arcade to play it? Yes, yes. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, although I think it might be on Steam maybe soon. I can't remember. But if it's on Steam, you, you don't you need Apple Arcade. Steam to get an iPhone. Can, can you use Steam to get an iPhone thing? Or? No. Oh, okay. it, it but be, I don't really know any yeah, of Yeah, no, so it'll be PC Steam probably, or PC and Mac Steam. And then if you want it on iPhone or iPad or, or Mac... Apple Arcade, which I, okay. I've, got, I've got anyway, because I've got the bundle, you know, where you get all the space and stuff. So, oh, did you go for the full bundle? Yeah, the one. I also added the other two terabytes of extra storage. So I've got like four terabytes of Apple storage. Yeah, I'm that close. One, I'm still a student on <laughs> Apple Music. because <laughs> For some reason, it thought I was a student when I logged in with my university email. And I was like, well, Apple makes so much money. I think they could probably survive. Yeah, they've had the it. best quarter or something, haven't they? This They've had like... The... Yeah, 100%. Um, and I thought, well, I could just be a student. So that saves me five or a month. But when it comes time to pay for the TV, because, you know, they've extended that trial on for a while. Um, I think I probably would just bite the bullet and pay for the whole thing. Yeah, I got the one because it was cheaper than the I, the family thing I had before anyway. So it actually was less. <laughs> I love the way you call it the one. <laughs> That's what it's called. It's called one membership or something, isn't it? It's like Apple Apple One. I would don't know if I would call it the one. <laughs> Sound like Jesus or something. That's <laughs> pretty important storage. Oh, man. Yeah, it's got quite a lot of storage. And yeah. because of my hoo-ha over Dropbox and stuff, I thought, well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it maybe it would be worth just doing that, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've not seen, yeah, I have not had any iCloud issues for a long time. So Handle With Care is your assemble fixing with care. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Assemble With Care. Yeah, that's <laughs> the way you fix, so that's where you, the story is told through the objects. So you basically, you fix the objects and you find out a bit of story about the, 
the the world by that sort of interaction. Oh, and then right. Alba is the one where you basically go around and you're doing sort of like trying your environmentalist and you're trying to help uh, in some capacity with on this island some of the animals that are there. And part of that is taking photogra- collecting photographs of them. But I I don't know any more than that because I've literally just kind of like downloaded it and watched it. But if you download it. Um, they donate a tree for every download or something. Oh wow! It does have a very um, uh, Animal Crossing feel about it. That's yeah. So when when one of the designers came in to talk about it to the third year, there was that kind of question, and they certainly, I think they were happy to sort of vibe off that aesthetic. But I don't, in terms of gameplay, it's very different. Okay. You know, um, Animal Crossing what? is kind of wants you to come in and. It's a bit more of a hook you back in game. Whereas this is a bit more relaxed and again, a bit more casual. One of the things I've learned from doing your, the teaching for your students is um, I'm starting to look at games more critically. Um, you know, to me, games were never a big part of my life. Um, I mean, I did mention Defender, which probably nobody knew what we were talking about, but it was like, that was the first game I ever played. And we did not have an Atari. We, I had to go to a friend's house to play that. And like, as soon as we got into his house, I'd be like, can we go and play a Defender now? Um, it's and funny it... you should say about Defender because someone else was saying, telling me we were talking about classic games or something. Oh, they were saying about how they used to go to a shop in, their, in South Africa and the little cafe would have like three games and one of them was Defender. And then another friend of mine said, oh, he remembers a school friend of his that basically had like calluses on the side of his hand because the Defender in the arcade originally came with like a trackball. But when right. you move, but when you moved it, obviously you catch your hat, you catch your flesh <laughs> yeah. in the bit of the ball, and so you had like a. We played it so much, you developed like calluses down the side of the no for catching That's it. Defendable. So yes, for those oh, who don't no know, way. defender, you basically had to fly left and right in the arcade. Yeah. It would be on a trackball that you'd spin, and you had to you had to pick up, uh, save humans, didn't you? Basically, and you had um, to shoot things, shoot as well. the things that were coming to get the humans. Yeah. Yeah, and you yeah. would go sh- 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 like that, yeah. Um, but look, at, since I've been doing a bit of teaching for you, I've been looking at games in a more critical kind of sense, um, which, you know, is interesting. It's really getting me think to think a lot. So I think I probably will just pay for the arcade thing and try out the Alba and the handle yeah, assemble there. Yeah, that's, yeah, there's loads of good... I mean, there is good stuff on there. I mean... I did, I, I did agree with what you... The point that you made about the curation. Um, well, uh, it was me who was talking about curation, but you were talking about gatekeeping. Um, and it was almost like if we could find somewhere in the middle. Uh, yeah, well, this goes back to this thing, like, the, you know, two trillion, two trillion dollar company making the best earnings going. Right. And they could they could they could take a risk on some really creative games. Yeah. But I, I mean, yes, there are creative games in Apple Arcade. There's lots of games that I like uh, as a as a what I would call a casual gamer. Um but they are, they're established studios, they're established artists. You know, there's no, ri- you know, there's no real risk taking. And I'd love, I, I really thought that they could take risks. I was like, oh, Apple's got tons of money. Mm. They mm. always, t- they always talked about merging humanities and technology. That's that's where this is happening right now mm. for me. Mm. I think it's happening in games so much more than any other creative media at this point. So I thought, great. But then also then. Like you say, with the curation side, I mean, I was worried that they wouldn't even get good games initially because I was like, well, who in Apple knows anything about games? Like, they yeah. haven't got a track record of that. They're not really well known for that. No, and um, every time they did a games demo in, on the WWDC or wherever, it was always so bad. Like, it was like, it wasn't like a Sony demo. Do you know what I mean? It was like, 
It would be like, oh yeah, here's someone playing, you know, whatever, and you're like, okay, this is really boring. It doesn't show off the game at all, you know. Whereas they, you just have to look at sort of Sony's events to know how to how to successfully demo a game in a in that type of environment. But anyway, so I was a bit like, oh, but they have good games. There is good games. It's still quite hard to find the right games. Um, they do bubble some up to the surface, but it's not easy to find them. And so me, yeah, that was... be... that, yeah. No, sorry, the other thing I was thinking now, just think, thinking about it. I wish they'd take more risks and just put the money onto a risky game. Maybe mm. they may even never get released on Apple Arcade, but they're not going to lose any money. They're buying like a hundred companies every week or something, apparently. You know, mm. and then secondly, like, well, they would they would lose money in the yeah, sense that well, yeah, okay, they would. Let's say they put a million dollars in to make a game, and that game they was perceived to be a disaster. But they could do it, it cheaper know. than that. They could do it cheaper than that. Do you know what I mean? They could. They, yeah. And they and then they must be making that on interest. Do you know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> Uh, but I know, okay, look, I, look, that's, you know, I think there are, anyway, there's other models of funding and whatever that could come into play, but I think that's a bigger conversation. But in terms of curation, you know, that, like they've got, I mean, not that I listen to the Apple Beats radio stuff too much or whatever, but there's some creation on the Apple Music side because they kind of bought that company with um, Zane Lowe uh, or whatever. And, yeah, Beats. And they, yeah, um, and even that, that was... That was the point I wanted to make about the curation thing was that, you know, the thing about um, Spotify, I have some slides on this. I can't remember where they are. Maybe it was for your students. I was saying Spotify over here is kind of like um, algorithmically generated. And like you can do, obviously you can do, you know, with huge quantities of data, Amazon has proven that you can accurately predict what people will like, you know? I mean, if I've bought all these books behind me and you've also bought all these books behind me and you buy a new book the chances are pretty high i'm gonna like it right um and that's the approach that spotify is taking whereas apple's much more about human curation and to me what i think is having run a record label as well um a big part of a label is curation you're picking different artists and you're putting them together um and you know, I th- and I, the, the politics of curation, I think, is another issue. Um, you know, I always used to have a problem with a curator in Belfast, whose name I will not mention, in that he was a publicly funded curator. And he all, you know, every, for a, for a gallery, um, and all the people who ever had shows with this particular person, they were all his friends. Um, and, and if you came in with different kind of work, um, and you weren't one of his friends, the chance of you getting shortlisted for that show was zero. Um, and it, it used to annoy me because I, I felt like this is public money and it should be spread more evenly. Whereas with a record label, when I was spending my own money, um, you know, it's entirely up to me who I want to choose because it's my money. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But you were, you were doing a certain, you were playing a certain curatorial role. Um, and in that sense, you could, you could pick somebody Like if I get these CDs from behind me, um, Comet, Frank Brett Schneider, super, super famous uh, in in our kind of area, really, really big. Um, Hard Sleeper from Dublin, Peter Mabry, still quite famous, but nowhere near at this level. And so if you release these in this at the same time, which is what we used to do a lot, this guy will get this much column inches and this guy will get like this much column inches but this person will get a leg up Um, and this is a better example this guy will bill salmon now works for firefox 
um, you know, yes. relatively unknown, but Stefan Mature, on the other hand, very well known. And, you know, and you could break somebody's career, as in break them in um, by backing them, essentially. Yeah. And that this could have a massive impact in, in terms of the Apple thing. Yeah. You could take a chance and you could give somebody a million dollars or pounds or whatever, and they could make a great tiny little game. And that studio could that that could be the thing that sets them off on their journey. Yeah. And it, by the sounds of things, they're not doing that. No, I don't think so. It doesn't sound like it. It's, I think that's the that's the thing I want to. That's something I want to dig into. And I, I know a few people are really interested in. It and I've talked about it in a few places. This idea of how do you support that grassroots game making that is starting to appear because of the breadth of the audience you know because it's become you know yes okay music sales and whatever are down etc but obviously music appeals to everyone and so you want as many you know, not 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 necessarily actually i've met lots of people who do, do not care about music okay well <laughs> i know and I, i'm like this <laughs> what you know um how can you not care about music and there are people who say that um, okay well that's me cool. i'm like i can't find that very bizarre that's weird. like yeah totally you know yeah um, but i guess i want to see how we could do something with games where you can just like you say give those experimental artists game makers you know some showcasing a bit and i think there's some i've got had some ideas to do some different things and haven't none of them have come together yet but i've got a few ideas mainly around sort of things around games for good and stuff like that where you can sort of showcase those and encourage funders to say oh It'd be good to put some money into these types of games because look what this game did in terms of like encouraging people to think more about you know the environment or uh, cancer or what you know or mental health, which there's lots of examples actually that exist, yeah. and um, you know and then that pushes games into that space of being cultural artifacts. That Can I share impact, my screen? You know? uh, don't know, probably not. Um, <laughs> you, you, a number of your students have talked about. Um, games and mental health, which I'm really excited uh, to see more of. The shield, click on the shield. Yeah, I was this just, I'm looking for the tick box. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about, actually, I'm doing a talk tomorrow night on venture testing um, for Create Leicester. Um, but one of the, th- and then I'm doing a no code workshop for Durham University over the weekend. Nice. And one of the things I'm going to talk about is Propel Cohort 3 and this particular company, CropSafe. Um, Two, um, they were students, actually, uh, Michal and John. Um, and Michal was a student in first year at Ulster University. Um, halfway through Propel, I found that out. And I was like, whoa, Michal, you haven't been to any classes. You've been here the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I know. Uh, and I said, please, Michal, email your course director or your lecturer cc me and here's my email address and i will explain to them that you're not a waster that you're actually a real hard worker um you know because in my mind i thought they'll have written you off as being you know a no chancer sort of thing but i saw this and i you know with the two of them one evening it was about eight o'clock and i said oh how did you get that app store uh, thing uh, did you did you pay a developer in like eastern europe or india or something or you know or did you learn this on your computer science course and he said no 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 we built this all using no code tools and i was just like my brain exploded um and they won um invents which was a kind of uh you know, startup competition type thing in Northern Ireland. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember what they won on Invent, but they won the agri-science category. They were 17 years old at the time. 
by the time I had finished um, with with them, uh, not I hadn't finished with them. They they'd finished Propel, and we come to the end. They had raised they they had secured about forty grand in grants, and we have this very. Um, I mean, I can send you this diagram, but we've got this very very uh, well resourced um, startup uh, funding stream in Northern Ireland, and there must be this kind of thing in the UK. Oh yeah, we've got. Um our one is like future worlds is the okay one particularly connected directly to the university of southampton so they... we've got like concept stage uh, and then we have like post you know prototyping it minimum viable product products and customers and growth and scaling and so you know we've got this whole pipeline but the other thing is have you heard of pioneer well um, obviously not the um not the speakers or the no but <laughs> pioneer is like a network so Track, helps founders track progress, get advice and get funded. Um, super, super interesting in that you're part of an accelerator, but it's just like a global thing, um, right. you know. And then no, basically what happens is you log in. Every, as I understand it, I haven't done it. Um, they, were, they were on this, these two guys, and they would basically log in every week and you would pitch and you'd be pitching to other startups, you know. So you're getting practice pitching with other people. Oh, cool um you know and then they're pitching to you and so they're building like a network and then uh they nurture startups basically and then once you get to a certain point um the previous slide there i've turned off the sharing was crop safe selectors pioneer once you get past a certain point they then say okay we we, we'd like to invest this much money for five percent it's quite a low percentage stake actually um your students could look at that for sure yeah yeah there's quite yeah. a lot of things like that out there. There is. You know? I mean, there is. And there's a lot There is a lot of games ones, but they're very difficult to find sometimes. That's the other thing. And we sort of touched on that the other day. So I think We did. Is... We talked about signposting. And that, that's an issue, um, you know, that people just don't know this stuff exists. Um, I think there's a number of issues actually having just come out of Belfast. One is signposting. You know, that diagram I just showed you was drawn by my mentor, Ian. And I just said to him, hey, can I use that? Because that's perfect explanation of you know our pipeline in northern ireland um so the first thing is finding the stuff right and being aware it exists yeah. the second thing that i run into with students a lot is confidence they, they instantly look at something like that and think well there's just no way i could do that um you know they they assume that these things are for well-established people etc and what was what was almost more inspiring about those two guys Mihol and john was that they'd gone off and found this pioneer thing and they'd entered in van and, you know, there was pictures I found of them the other day with their school jackets on their school <laughs> blazers. And I, I was so impressed, you know, um, but they had so much confidence um, or they learned it on the way or, you know, yeah, yeah I think me, it was, it was amazing. That's you know? a big thing. I think building confidence is like the key to all this, isn't it? And I think that's what students, that definitely is something we work a lot on and some of it is like just by like having like dan in and i have other guests into the program and you mm. have guests obviously in the school of design that when that happens or if you go to a studio i see it every year like and all the students have been writing about it is that they suddenly go oh they're not that different to me mm. and i know stuff and i can and i could talk to them you know and have a lot of alumni and whatever come in and talk about networking. They say, well, actually, networking is just getting to find new friends. If you think about it that way, particularly in the games industry, mm -hmm. it's just about finding friends, really. Yeah. Then suddenly the, the confidence sort of starts to 
shoot up to shoot up and then they can start to think about pitching the things and whatever but of course it's nerve-wracking for sure yeah but um but then with those things the more you do the more confident you become um so once you apply once then the second time is a little bit less stressful um but it's almost like getting students to understand that they can apply for that kind of stuff or i we should probably not just say students we should say young people i suppose and and, anyone who wants to start a business or do something new or you know Um, i I also think that we should think about a word to describe this as well because when i say young people what i really mean is early stage or early career and you know we in in academia there's this idea of an early career researcher but you could be an early career researcher and be 50 yeah, yeah that's, um, that is me. Like, you know, I'm I'm about to step into that sort of area. Yeah. Yes, I'm not not quite 50. but <laughs> No, and, and I think that that's the thing, you know, so when I think about maybe teaching that BBUIs course, you know, some of the people who I'm who I've been teaching over the last year or so are mature, you know, um, you know, and some of them are like 60, but they're not young, but they're young to the industry. Yeah. Um, I, I'm seriously giving a lot of thought to uh, doing a PhD. Oh, cool. Yeah, I know. What do you think? Do you think that's crazy or? Well, I think last time we discussed it, it was the it was the money thing that you because you you reminded me of how much money I'd probably spent on mine, and I was like, oh my word, don't tell anyone anything. <laughs> Have you so, paid your own money? Half, I pay half the fees. Okay, uh, but I'm finishing it this year in terms of like it's going to be submitted, so I won't have to pay any more. And then but I your PhD is at Southampton, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, do they not waive all the fees for you? Not no. It's just different deals for different places, so it's what it, that's what it was. But the wow, the, yeah, that is what it is. It's cool. I wanted to do it. So, but that's, at Belfast School of Art or Ulster University, I believe it's free in the yeah, sense some, that yeah, yeah, some you work for them, are, yeah. you get it for free. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. no, no, it's, and, lots of places do that model. Just that wasn't the model that existed when I was able to sign up for it. Also at Canterbury Christchurch, where I was an external examiner a few years ago. There was a lady who I was working with on the team there called Kate, and she was getting her RCA PhD funding covered. And I was like, whoa, how did you get that? I said, it's not even Christchurch, you know? Uh, and she said, yeah, I know, but, you know, it's very prestigious and they want to support me. Yeah. I was like, God, I wish I had a head of school like that. Yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. No, um, I mean, but I think the thing for me is like, it's, um, I wouldn't, I mean, I don't think, worry, wouldn't, I wouldn't, don't worry about the cost. It is what it is. You know, I think then it's like, what, what do you want? Why do you want to do a PhD? Like, that's the thing. Like, why? And for me, I want, I had some project ideas I wanted to play around with. And I needed, I needed, you know, in quotes, an excuse to be yeah. able to do that. There happened to be a scheme that existed that allowed me to do that under the banner of a, of a PhD. Previously, I'd done it with a master's. You know, um, so was your was your thing Node Noggin? Yeah, well, yes. Well, that's what it became initially. It was the idea of what would a you know a delightful designed learning environment look like. So you know, in the in the NAFIS terms, it was kind of like how why is why is Blackboard so terrible? You know, but mm-hmm. that but it's like I need a framework to fit that in so I can see. So it became and it became Node Noggin and completely transformed over the time. Um, so that the reason I did it was. Is twofold. One is that, like, li- like, all my staff are doctors except for me. So that's like, oh, okay, and that's kind of becoming the norm in academia. Yeah, so, in academia. I, so I kind of need it if I want to go and do, like, if I want to do research, like, ongoing that's funded. A lot of bodies require you to have a PhD. 
um, do, to do that. Personally, so. having just left Belfast School of Art after 20 odd years, I think that's wrong. I think that when you start to, I think when you start to move education in the direction of everybody needs a PhD, you, you immediately remove an awful lot of very pragmatic business focused, industry focused people who, you know, because of their DNA, they just are not interested in that kind of thing at all. Yes. I think that I think there should be a scale of things. And the only reason, Mm. the reason that I'm doing it is like I said, twofold. So I want to do a project Mm -hmm. and I want to move into that space where I can get research funding for projects yeah, uh, and so that requires that in place, particularly at a Russell Group University, you know. And I want to, and I like working here. In that, mm. you know, as stressful as it is, I actually like it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so it's going to give me opportunity. There's loads of opportunities to open up. You know, there's some stuff happening at the moment with our with our research institute that sounds really exciting, and those opportunities I'm sort of scratching at, but I think I'm not able to get them yet because I'm missing that that piece of paper to some yeah, degree yeah, yeah. now mm-hmm. so you know and i don't think a piece of paper matters that really but it's no. that, it unlocks academic stuff inside the institute and institutes not necessarily did green. i did i tell you that's right but the, but then it's like all i'm saying is like why why did do I tell you need you, it you know why would you need it did i tell you that nick and i nearly bought doctorates yeah 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 your students would have freaked out about that as well <laughs> um because that was that was much more um acute <laughs> Well, I think it was acutely focused on um, questioning the whole, you know, the whole uh, apparatus of yeah. of uh, academia. And I wish we'd actually gone through and done it. I mean, we put a lot of work into it. Um, and we used to have these vitrines in, uh, like, for people listeners to the podcast, which is like three people, um, a vitrine is like a display case, uh, you know, in a museum or something. And we used to have these vitrines that belong to the library and you could asked to use them for projects and nick and i you know we carefully downloaded screenshots or we took screenshots of lots of places that sold phds um and then we kind of mounted them all carefully and we put them all in the vitrines um uh-huh. <laughs> as a sort of form of commentary on you know you know why why do you need to be a doctor to to teach and there are certain people who in academia and i've had these conversations with people we've probably talked about it where people have said you know you're not even qualified to teach this mm-hmm. and i think what what are you talking about i've written like six or seven books you know and but they don't count that because you know they don't see those as being like peer reviewed journals etc um, yeah, I mean, I think that model is going to disappear. I think some of that model will disappear, and some of those people who think that are, are well, they're wrong anyway, for starters. Um, yeah, but I did have a lady who told me quite forcefully to my face um, that I shouldn't be teaching history and theory at all, and I wasn't qualified to do it. And I was like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> it was, I mean, that's uh, just, it was insane. I think that's just but, yeah, I, that's individual, me, isn't it? But like, but why it, do you, why would you want to do one? Like, what would it what would what would it enable for you? So um, with so one thing I've been doing over the last day or so, obviously, I'm doing this workshop for Durham over the weekend. And one of the things that came out of it, actually, I'd sent over the the outline for the no code workshop. And I was like, here we go. And Marek, who's my contact, got back and said, oh, one thing we're totally missing is idea generation. I was like, oh, I thought you, you know, because we'd had a sort of conversation and, you know, many conversations. And he he kind of said to me like, oh, design thinking. And, you know, that's, they know all that stuff. 
you know, he, he was kind of like, let's lay off that. And I was like, oh, okay. And I lumped in idea generation with that, you know, yeah, of um, course. Yeah, yeah. in the sense of like, well, if we don't need to do that, we don't need to do it. Right. And he was like, but we need ideas for the apps. And I was like, oh, okay. I thought we were just going to you know, give them some things and tell them to get on with it sort of thing. And he was like, no, 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 we need those. So t- one of the things I'm doing is on Friday, I'm doing half like a sketching workshop, which I actually ran on Saturday for members of the School of Design. We had great fun. Um, So it was kind of like, you know, sketching interfaces for beginners. um, Think about what it looks like. And, you know, we we start with draw toast, which gets you thinking about systems and that kind of thing. And then we start to look at Instagram and then we start to see how apps are generally flows or websites or flows. So that's one thing. The second half of the equation in terms of the design is like, what does it look like? What's the aesthetic and all of that kind of thing? And so for the Friday evening for a bit of homework, I am showing some examples of what I would call visual grammar uh, decks that I put together when I'm briefing a designer and saying, okay, this is the aesthetic we're looking for. And I have a very particular process that I use, you know, here's typography, here's imagery, here's diagrams, so that you can say, this is what it looks like. And instead of I was going to show Mr. Murphy, my website and the school of design, but they're basically the same. The visual grammar is like identical. Um, so I, t- so I went back to, uh, I ran, I went on a workshop with Adrian Shaughnessy at the Royal college in 2019, maybe it was about two years ago. Yeah. I remember and, you saying, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was really good. And I absolutely loved it. It was RCA typography, summer intensive 2019. Um, um, you know, I, I rocked up thinking, right, I'm going to get the, the bits and pieces in place for a new record label. Um, and like within 10 minutes, they were like, that's not what we're doing. We're doing a conference and you're branding a conference. And I was like, what? Because uh, I literally knew what I was going to do. But then the rug was pulled out. Anyway, I pulled up the stuff I worked on at the Royal College, which is all visual. And I was like, I love this stuff. And at the end of the workshop, the three day, no, the week long workshop, Adrian, he had obviously featured my work before, but we'd sort of fallen out of touch with it. He came over and he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, um, I just wanted to say, I really enjoyed working with you, you know, officially in a sort of official capacity because he was teaching the workshop and he said, you know, I really enjoy your rigor and your, you know, your process. Um, it's very well thought through. And I, I, I was obviously really chuffed to hear that from him. Yeah, I hold them in very high regard. Um, But as I started pulling it back out today, it just kind of started to conjure that up again in terms of like, I, I really feel that there's something to be written around the visual interface of music. Uh, You know, record covers bring us into, uh, into, into the music Um, in the same sense that I already have a sense, a rough sense of um, Alba because I've seen some pictures of it. So I've started to conjure a story in my mind. Might be wrong, might not, you know? And I think record covers used to do that. You used to be able to see like the cover of um, uh, Bitches Brew by Miles Davis, for example, Joe Zawinol paintings, that that has you in a particular place. And we've lost a lot of that visual culture um, in an era of downloads. And in some respects that, you know, Craig Mod, Yeah, yeah. He's talking about, have you seen his article about the cover, Hack the Cover? Don't, don't know. It's really, really nice. It's like a, uh, I think it's an Amazon single Kindle type thing. And it's a short, short piece of writing on. So Amazon went through this experiment called Singles about 
eight or nine years ago and they were kind of novella length they were quite short um and so the first single i bought was about um mountain climbing in the himalayas or something it was really interesting by john krakenauer and then the next one was by craig mod anyway hack the cover is you know covers used to be like this book covers used to be a you know particular size and a particular color and a particular ratio and all of this kind of stuff and when we moved to the kindle store um or selling things on amazon covers are now this size um and they have to work in this kind of size um and he he talks all about what a cover is and what a cover represents and how it is like protection and that's the same with music and so on and so forth and to me it's just an it's an area i've never really resolved you know my very first cd on felt was this was the very first cd on felt and these these shapes here Mm. were like graphic scores that i sent to the musician And, and i sent this to him and said what does that sound like you know and he would then make some stuff and he would send it to me because there was no it was really the internet was really slow he would send me some very very short files uh like a minute and i would listen to them and i'd say that's really interesting and then i would do some i would change my graphics send them back over and i'd say okay i've slightly modified my thing what do you think this sounds like now and he would then do and we went back and forth and he was in sydney and i was in belfast and we just swapped this stuff and and then this is where i always found it a bit weird the record label because we knew each other paul his name is paul but his name on the internet is pimon um and we'd known each other for six months swapping this stuff and i knew of his work i loved his work uh, you know as a musician um and then i said do you know would you like to release this on my record label so i'd got the 500 quid to you know from the halifax and Cara and i both got 500 quid each and we were like do we spend this on our mortgage or do we just blow it on something and we we're like blow it blow it totally so i decided i was going to set up this record label all of that kind of stuff and i'd secretly been building all the fiction yeah. and i to this day i don't really quite understand how why he never said why didn't you mention the record label like six months ago um you know because it just arrived fully formed yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like do you want to you know you could be one of the releases on a record label and he was like oh that'd be amazing um and i was like yeah it's over here felt.com <laughs> i never really understood why, why he didn't click that you know like why why didn't i mention it like six, six months, months ago, yeah. it was really weird or maybe he just knew it was all obviously a scam yeah, yeah. Uh, you know it was Uh, and that became like the first cd um and you know the beginning i didn't tell everybody it was you know was was all fake you know and he then was like um this has to be like this can't be right and i was like yeah just don't tell anyone you know because i'm the world's worst secret keeper as well (laughs) um i was like yeah don't tell anyone and so he then became uh ted sulkowitz who was like, oh my word, this guy was like a really famous Australian rules football player, um, you know, which is, they run around and bounce the ball. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I have no idea. Anyway, he said, I think we should do this release called Ted Sulkowitz called Over the Black Dot. And I was like, okay. And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to make up, like, I'm going to make everything up. And I was like, okay. And he said, we're going to totally take the piss out of Neil Plateau. And, you know, which was this really, really rigorous record label run by a guy called Akin Sapansky, who was super serious. Like 
everything he talked about was like Foucault and, you know, Derrida and yeah, yeah, yeah. slippage. And, you know, it was very, very serious. And all they wanted to do was take the piss out of, all he wants to do is take the piss. And I, I said, you get to go for it. You know, this sounds great. I love it. You know, let's release it. And we had this series of CDs called Directions, uh, where, you know, I would gather three art, three songs by four different artists. And then I would print the cover on a like laminate, like film, litho film that you'd use at a printer. Yeah, so yeah. that when, when you took the, I remember taking it over to Berlin because uh, I made it to go to visit Berlin and to go and visit record labels and studios. Yeah. And I gave it to this guy and it was just like an empty box with, with the CD, right? Just a plain CD. And he said, like, how do I find the, and that was black in the back. Mm. And he said, how do I, where's the track tiles? And I, and I took it out and I said, you, you take out this, you hold it up to the light. I said, do you see the way there? And they were all like, whoa. To me, this was like not that interesting. They were all wet in their pants. Anyway, he, he became Ted Solkowitz. And then when he delivered the work to me, he was like, me and my mate have made all these fan sites. No way. <laughs> For this guy, I oh, was amazing. It was so cool. Wow. I was just like, oh my word. He's like, we were so on the same wavelength. And he said that here's one that links to this one, which links to this one. And these two people kind of hate each other, but they really like Ted Solkowitz. And they've got these. Oh, yes. Just, well, that's funny when you should say that, because when we were talking to students about it, they un- once they understood it, they understood it as an ARG, which is an alternate reality game. That's now it's I didn't get a chance to talk to you about this. So what is that then? What's an ARG? Oh, my word. So ARGs are an alternate reality game where um, the most famous one, I would say, and I can't remember the company. And so I'm just going to remember bits that I can. But the most famous one was an ARG um, that started a website called ILoveBees.com. So basically in when Halo was released, they had cinema trailers. So there used to be cinema trailers for video games. And at the end, really? yeah, yeah, at the end of the Halo trailer, where it said Xbox.com, for a second the URL glitched to this one that said ILoveBees.com, and it, people were like, "What's that?" So then they go on the website, and the website is like this fragmented sort of journal um, of a daughter. I think I think this is the first one looking for her grandmother or something. This and was official. This was official, like. It was by PlayStation. No, it's by Xbox, but it's with, they hired a company to make this this thing. So, okay. but this website you went to had sort of this journal of a, I think it was a daughter looking for a lost grandmother or something, okay. and then there were some numbers and things that started that were on there. And basically, what happened was then you, um, these people started trying to decipher what this was all about and what it might mean. And so there was like there was groups like um, chat groups sort of, or, or forums started mm-hmm. to appear to uh, try and understand what this kind of story is. And then occasionally there'd be like little audio clips would suddenly appear on the website and be like, what's the, you know? So anyway, what it turned out to be was there's, it turned out at some point there was a series of numbers that turned out to be global position systems around the world. Mm-hmm. And so GPS coordinates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, and the people that were looking at this realized then that at all these locations, there was pay phones. Mm-hmm. And then it became. Then there was more releases. I think it's, uh, I can't remember the name of the games company. But you look it up on Wikipedia. But um, and then what happened was that then there was a, a countdown sort of began, mm-hmm. and they realised that they had to basically be at one of these payphones at a oh, specific at time. time. 
Yeah, yeah. And then what happened was that the payphone would ring, and this is kind of pre-internet, like not. Um, yeah, I understand. So there was kind, you know, so the you know the internet was slow and all that kind of stuff. There was internet stuff going on, but it wasn't like major. Anyway, so the payphone would ring. They would get a phone call where there would be a, an audio clip or played to them, mm-hmm. and then that there was a piece of information they had to pass on to the next payphone ringing that would be somewhere else around these different locations. I can't remember if it's purely global or how mm-hmm. like many countries, but it became this like was, a relay. And this was an alternative reality game. Yeah, and there's, lo- there's more examples. This is the best one I can think of off the top of my head. And okay. then it, it became a relay race. So basically you had to pick up the phone, take a note of what they'd said, send it to everyone else on the internet who was playing the game, Mm-hmm. And and make sure there was someone at every single payphone, and then pick up the phone and respond with that new piece of information. If you didn't do it, you failed the game, you know, and in some capacity. And the, the relay race ended up was like it was like seconds between phone calls. Wow! And they would like so they'd be, get some information, send it on the forum or whatever. The next phone would be ringing somewhere else on the road. The other person would pick it up and be saying the right thing, and it became this whole relay race. And it was just to, um, it was it was an alternate reality game that happened to be a marketing ploy kind of related to the release of Halo, but like nothing to do with Halo. But it was a game, and there's quite a few that are, are they're called ARGs, um, and it's kind of like this whole fake world that exists, but you play a game in the, with the players. Yeah, I'd, I'd seen, because obviously, you know, for context, if anyone's listening to this, this particular student had gone off on one and thought I was a faker. Um, and I, I think she had... And the other thing was that she sort of put me on the spot and I wasn't very good at, yeah. at you know, explaining it because I was like, what, what, you know, and I was Yeah, and I think to hijacked. be fair, the thing was that you, that wasn't what you were talking about. No, so we didn't, <laughs> not we really. Didn't, that was just an example. We didn't want to yeah. go down the route of having yeah. to explain it properly. And I think that's fair. I think that was, yeah, I probably should a, have explained there it. There was both sides. It was a misunderstanding yeah, 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 and yeah, a 100%. bad explanation. So. But then I read all the because you'd said you you wrote uh, so if anyone's listened to this it's not just me and adam adam had written like a an explanation yeah because a couple I of said, yeah, that, got, ups, got upset because totally. they thought you were trying to rip off artists but which yeah which, yeah she yeah. wasn't which um, is actually not... what we were doing was the opposite of that um and probably should have explained that a little bit more carefully um but it was also the same time as you, what you just mentioned, because, you know, the internet for me was very slow as well in the sense that Pimmel and I were swapping one minute tracks because like that was literally all you could really download. Um, and then the reason that we did the 24 CD box set with 15 one minute tracks, which used those tiny little CDs, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember those. those were 15 minute one, 15 one minute tracks, because the idea was you could just download a minute and a minute, you know, and it was all designed to be downloaded um you know and it was all designed to be downloaded for free as well and my web hosting uh guy called Nama Kuhn he because we did all the hosting for the businesses through Rodney Miller Associates and because I did that he said oh don't worry we'll just host your stuff for free uh, and I said no honestly we when we start it'll go nuts right and he said no you like how nuts can it go and I said I swear honestly it I think it will go nuts. And so we, our first CD, because of the fiction, this one here got like straight into full press, the whole nine yards. It was really amazing. And I, if that had just been our first CD, minus the story, it wouldn't have got that. And then we did the 24 CD box set. And the whole idea was that you could download it. My bank manager thought I was crazy because he was sitting downstairs and he said, um, what, you know, if people can download the music for free, I mean, like, why will they buy the the boxes? 
And I said to you, because like music fans are really into physical stuff, you know, they'll want to buy something, you know, and it's, it's limited edition as well. They'll want to have that as well. Um, and anyway, we released it. We said it's all free. And I got a phone call the next day. What the hell is going on with your record label? Because the bandwidth must have just gone through the roof. And there was a point in time when we were paying like a grand a month for hosting. It was no way. insane. Yeah, because you were paying for the amount of data. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. It was mental. Oh, so I think maybe, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, to wrap it back round to the PhD thing and probably to wrap it up to some degree, so we're almost going to hit the hour, is to... Um, I, think, uh, I don't think we should scrap the hour, honestly. But anyway, <laughs> I think I think there's um, the the ARG idea is interesting. Obviously, yeah, that's a different. I mean, it's a different yeah. thing. But I obviously, think... if if I was doing a, if let's say I was going to um, get back into the interface between design and visuals, which is where I definitely want to be, yeah, yeah. Um, that's one thing. Setting up another record label might be another part of it because i just enjoy i enjoyed that aspect of it would i build an entirely fictional thing ever again probably not um because i've already done that and experienced that and 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 done it already um i think for me the real reason of the phd was um john and adrian adrian had said he would happily supervise it um, to be honest with you, though, the Royal College, I think they're under pressure to get more people doing PhDs. And he had said he would supervise it for sure. Um, I'd said about John Wersencroft, who used to work with Mike Harding at Touch, probably still does, because, um, you know, I hold him in very high regard. And I thought, well, if I want to if I want to do it with anyone, I have to do it now because then, you know, they're not getting younger, um, you know, and then probably about the same age or older than me. I would say they're probably older than me. Yeah. Um, but it, the other reason was just the the intellectual challenge, um, you know, of being with other people who are yeah, yeah. who who are thinking rigorously, um, and also the, you know, you are more likely to do something if you're, you know, I'm more yeah. likely to do it if I'm on a PhD program yeah, for yeah, three yeah. years or six years or whatever it is yeah. than if I'm just trying to do it on my own as a hobby. Yes. Yes, no, I think you're right. I think in the um, being able to talk to people about that kind of stuff, and you know, I think if I was you, I'd just maybe look at look at the see if you. Can, I mean, I don't know where you should be able to get access to the PhDs that the RCA have put out. So yeah. look at some of the communication design PhDs that have already come from them. What's the kind of what do they what are they doing, and are there any that are practice based? Because like Bill, you know, some of it you can do a practice based one where you make things as well, and that's mm. slightly different. Um, I, I'm sure they do do those ones. That might not be what you want to do. No, I do. I do want. I want. To, if if there's an offer, I would do a practice, practice and theory. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, a bit of both. Um, well, that's I what mine is. There, so much. It's, I, it's, yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah, I see that as being an opportunity to. I mean, not invent some new thing, or well, I don't know, but no, I still the feel I that there's this. Need, yeah. I don't think yeah, you need I, to know. I think there might be something that comes if you do that research. There might be something that comes out of it that suggests yeah, there's yeah, a new yeah, in, yeah. there's a new interface between visual and music that hasn't mm. yet been thought about. You know, and it's not the iTunes visualizer. You know, so it's like, what is that thing? You know, is it physical things? Is it what is it? Is it or is it augmented reality? I, who knows? Like, it could be when you put the. You know, you maybe you have like a box and then like an ar thing pops up and that's the the new visuals for a record label who knows right 
We're just making do, up. Do you know the Apple album format thing that they have? No. What's that? It's, this is a thing. It's really, really um um it's really under promoted. Hang on a minute. I'm gonna see if I can find something. I mean I'm yeah. Apple, Apple music just gives me the music. Album. <laughs> um format. They used to have this thing called Apple Album. Um Oh, uh, maybe I do know. You know, and they used it for like say um, you, you got like images and things and Yeah. Yeah, I do remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they did like special editions. The format, special edition by no, that's not, that's a band. Um it's probably buried or hidden now. It probably doesn't probably, exist. Probably it's probably buried somewhere. Um yeah, launched releasing a special edition. U2. Nope, it's not that. They had this thing. U2, that's like the one a... where they gave it away free, wasn't it? I don't know. Everyone <laughs> was raging. Oh, get off my remember? phone. Yeah, um, I know, and everyone and I thought that that was the most ill thought through thing. Yeah, because it auto download, auto download yeah. your yeah. phone, yeah. and it also it? meant that you were now a U two fan. And for some people, that would be like shoving a fork in your eye repeatedly. Um, I just felt like such a violation of you and your 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 music, you know. Um, and and a music a music collection is for for some people a very special thing. Um, and for someone there to come along and go, oh yeah. Just between, you know, Neil Young and, you know, there you go, there's your YouTube. And you'd be like, you know, um, but they had this format that was kind of like special edition or something. And it had like um, imagery and lyrics and, and it, for a very brief glimmer of time, it was like this, this is going to be the new thing. And it's going to replace, you know, all this other stuff. And they've never really done it, you know. And I've always felt like, you know, um, do you know Letterboxd? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's I've always a, felt um, that there's, there's a need a... for a visual form of Letterboxd yeah. for, you know, Discogs. Do you know Discogs? Yep, yep. So, I mean, Discogs has got literally everything ever musically, but it just looks awful, yeah. you know, and if you could build something. But actually, for me, what I was more interested in yeah, when I was game... doing... Sorry, I work... think there's a games one. There's a let... like, it's not called Letterboxd, but it's... Anyway, there's a games on the same sort of thing, which is quite cool. I did a workshop for my students in Belfast School of Art a few years ago, um, where I, oh, look, here's some nice sketches in my sketchbook, where I, I said to them, okay, we've all got an album. Well, I, unbeknownst to me, they didn't know even what I was talking about. I was saying to them, you must have an album that's like nine tracks untitled 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 you don't know what it is you're listening to it amazing but you just don't know what it is because you know that's we would have swapped things on mp3s and yeah, blah, yeah. blah 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 no none of them knew that at all because all they did was listen to things that on was like youtube the, that was like the prodigy for me i didn't know it was yeah. the prodigy for ages because it was just tapes of yeah. this rave music. I was just like, what is this? Like, we, there was no Shazam. <laughs> like, yeah. And my daughter, my daughter, uh, Caitlin, who, who you've met, obviously, she she used to say, oh, that's track three, Dad. We used to have a, a, CD, a CD that we played in the car. And she knows the track, she knows these songs by track numbers. She's like, that's track three. And it took me ages to go off and Shazam everything and say, and, you know, and I say, what is it? And she would, do you know Cornelius? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the Japanese musician. Yeah, 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 yeah. What track three was um, incredible music, something or other. Um, and she was trying to sing it to me down the phone. Like, it was really 
Cornelius is very produced music. You can't really sing it down the phone. Um, it was so funny. And um, what else was there? There was like Vangelis. Da, 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 da. That was one of them. It was the weirdest mix of stuff. We even had some Planet of the Apes stuff in wow, there, boy. courtesy of Cornelius. Yes, um, of but I was trying to say to the students, right, you, you've got this album. It's like nine tracks long. You don't know what it is, you know, because you got a hard drive off a friend and you just downloaded all their music. Um, None of them, they were just like, this was alien to them. They either listened to music on YouTube or they were paying for stream. I don't think any of them were paying for streaming. They were using, yeah. And they were using Spotify and- On the free one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the free one. No one was paying the money. Um, And I'd said to them, okay, we could use things like the length of the track. You know, let's say this track is nine minutes long. Then we could have a strip of color that's this long. And then this track is four and a half minutes, so it will be half the width, but a different color because it's a sure, different Sure, yeah, track. D- data visualizations. Yeah, and I was trying to get them to think programmatically about what that could be. And uh, we had a pr- particularly weak group of students who weren't really that into it. And, you know, and I've always looked at the sketches I had in my sketchbook and thought, that is what I want to build. Something that can programmatically build you something aesthetically pleasing um you know that fits with the kind of music as well i don't know yeah you could definitely i mean you're talking about you're almost talking about phd in machine learning and ai now but you know i never thought of that actually um ml could be a part of it you never know um but it was cool i think you should have i think you should go and look at what the rca is doing do you get do you get funding can you get a a loan you can yeah yeah certain certain types you can there's some new funds i think exist for postgraduate students uh, uh, that you can get I, i'm not I, I wasn't eligible in any capacity for those things because right. of various reasons but i think it does depend on your mode of study but there are some mm-hmm. things now and also to be honest i know that um do you not think don't... mode of study for the foreseeable future would be remote oh yeah but i mean part-time versus full-time oh i see okay. um, but they're also that but again you know if i know because some people have done it there are other funding bodies where you can say look this is my idea what do you reckon? And you can get sponsorship to do it. And there's quite a few people that I know have got that through different routes. So you, okay. I mean, again, it can be research, it can be UKRI's research funds, or it can be the university sponsor it because they just want it on the, you know, their list of publications eventually. Mm. Or um, there might even be commercial partners that could kind of do stuff. You never know. I think there's mm. a lot. So I think just one well, I like all these things in it I keep saying to students it's like you know how do you eat, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time you know yeah <laughs> yeah I think I don't know I just need to think about it I mean I've, for for months now I've been thinking that you know if I could just get to the end of this workshop the no code workshop uh which is big for me because like no code's relatively new to me um and i don't want it to be rubbish you know um you know and so i put a lot of thought into it so if i could get to the end of that my plan for next week is just you know do my instagram yeah you're doing some of this stuff i don't know i i also had an idea i was talking to cara about did i show you the point line plane stuff for for the bbuis it's like really hardcore it's very germanic and it's very um you know it's very sort of Bauhaus. Yeah. Um, and I was chatting to Kara today and I said, look, our, our feedback from our students on that, because we used to do it in, in IXD, um, they just don't have the patience 
to do it. You know, yeah. younger people don't have the patience to, you know, younger, if you, if younger people, if you say to younger people, right, I've got eight lines and I've got a square and I want you to take those eight lines and play around with them and I'll see you tomorrow. They're like five minutes later, they're like, what the fuck's going on? This is shit. You know, whereas I could spend a week doing that and I'd still not have finished, you know, finished it you know and for me if you look at like armin hoffman or wolfgang or any of these people that's what they do um and so like i was sitting in the car i think i even have it there you go um if i just share my screen i was sitting in the car oh i thought that was sharing the screen i was sitting in the car doing this yeah 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 you know and that is uh from armin hoffman's book yeah great book uh visual form you know, and I was like, okay, 16 lines, um, you know, eight and eight, eight and eight. And, you know, and I was just messing around with that. And I, I to me, I felt like, well, the, um, when I go back to the BBUIs, and then we probably should wrap up, but I'm, I'm asking for your feedback, really. Because yeah. um, I feel like I'm working in a vacuum at the minute. I share desktop one. Module one well module one's history actually module two which is the building blocks of interfaces um you know we end up with lots of dots yeah but and and at the beginning i this is what the students found boring right so at the minute at the beginning i would show them you know if the moon were only one pixel yes and then i would show them things like this swatch watch which is like a galaxy or ubuntu's patterns seeds branding oh, yeah. uh, nicholas felton as you yeah. you know obviously lots of stuff there's facebook um and you know then i would look at patterns which is uh, this is me some of my work you know and i would just be like right okay what can we do with just one point one dot you know we could make it smaller we could make it bigger um and we could change the color right we could invert it you know and then two points could be you know, like that's a planet in the distance, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but it's just two dots. Right. And then we would go into like this. Right. See, for me, I that was a little bit like what we did with Adrian Shaughnessy in the RCA. Um, you know, he was like, OK, your first exercise is to take these three lines and put them on a square uh, I was looking at them in the car park today and I was like, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then the second thing was go and find one letter from a typeface um, and make a presentation about that letter for like 10 minutes or something. And I was like, wow, amazing. I talked about the letter O in Futura um, and how it's on the moon because it was used for the plaque for the Apollo landings. Um, And then the rest of it was all super rigorous. That's why I think he was like, I really enjoyed working with you and your rigor, you know? Everything I do is very systemic, um, you know, and it's very German, but I, the more I think about the UI course, the more I think it almost feels like there's two courses here. One is what I would call the Vorkurs, which is the German for four course or for the course you do before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be, that would be that, that would be point land plane. And it would be for designers who are probably thirties, forties, fifties, who want a rigorous summer exercise program. Um, and then I thought probably I could get someone like uh, Hamish Muir or some some of those kind of hardcore people to join me as guest speakers, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. And then 
the uh, the BBUIs would just cut that right off. It we, we would we would yeah. do the point line plane in a day, yeah. you know. I, think, I just, yeah, just would get right. bored of it. Do you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're right. It's a different sort of exercise, isn't it? It's kind of sad though, isn't it? Because actually, you know, when when you think the students who would have done that at the Bauhaus, they were doing the same thing, but that you know, they lived in a different time, I suppose. Yeah, it's different times, there's different things, different pressures, you know. Um, yeah. Education is different, you know. But I think they're valuable. But I think it's all valuable. But I think you're right. You have to break it up into different bits. Audiences, you know. I think it's different audiences is the thing. I felt like when I went to the RCA thing that, you know, it was it was hardcore. But I think there's like, but there's also this bit where you if we're saying, okay, well, lots of the stuff around sort of interface design and whatever is going to cover the, the, the more com- like less sort of commercial stroke industry stuff, let's just call it that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then if that's happening, like you, there's a, there's like going to be a whole bunch of designers that could get so much out of the dot point line plane thing a late, little bit later on in their career, because, you know, they kind of want to move through into more senior roles, et cetera. Yeah. And that would be the, that's the thing that would get you that because you have a better understanding of communication design, et cetera, you know, and it yeah. would be the stuff that would feature on maybe masters and postgraduate sort of programs. So I think it's just, like you say, it's a different audience. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's probably true. I think that, I think there was probably a handful of younger people on the RCA course and they were doing it and embracing it because, well, it, because of the fame. Uh, thing adrian shaughnessy was standing there telling them to do it yeah you're gonna do it they were they were like well we better do it you know he this guy wouldn't be telling me to do this for for nothing you know (laughs) whereas if you're in a studio and it's you and me for example with the students they're like fuck you (laughs) You who the fuck do you think you are why do you want me to use these frigging dots and lines and shit exactly i think you're right exactly yeah 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 this is definitely you know there's different pressures in there on young younger students in terms of needing to get jobs and understanding direct application of these things not last yeah. night but the night before on news night um we should start wrapping up and yeah, not cool. last night but the night before i think it would have been monday night's news night there was a whole chunk on uh universities and fees and what's there oh my word yeah I'm... yeah it's probably worth watching um well, well there was the there was the the lady. I think her name is Larissa, who who was the head of the students' union. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, I mean, or the and then the students was it? No, 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 no. She was oh, like okay. a student, the student representing body. Uh, okay, student. for the the students' union. Yeah, union. yeah. So the students' union, or whatever you call it. Um, and then there was a guy from a university, um, and the, it was boiling down to, you know, nine thousand two hundred and fifty pounds is a lot of money to be getting essentially a remote education um and what was frustrating was both of them were essentially saying the same thing uh there's no way that universities can put their hand in their pocket and give you back six grand they just don't have any money um and the government will have to pay for it but if we wait for the government to pay it'll never happen yeah i have to say i really felt for them Uh, i did really feel for them you know because I don't think the government will put its hands in its pockets at all. I, mean, I don't think so either, but that's, an, you know, we should definitely finish because that's like... We should. That's getting a bit negative. We always yeah, like yeah. to finish on a positive thing. So, yeah. yeah. I think There's a really good book to recommend to your students. Final thing I'll say, it's called 
Um, the Freeman Gallery does not exist or something like that. It's uh, I, your students, again, they encouraged me to start reading it. I bought cool. it. It's on MIT. Uh, it's on MIT Press. Oh, I like I go, MIT Press MIT. stuff. I like their stuff. It's really well printed. Uh, Freeman Gallery. I'll find it. Yeah, okay. It okay. is called the Gene Freeman Gallery does not exist. And it's a hardback and it's about yay thick, oh, probably cool. about an inch and a bit thick. And this gallery was from summer 1970 to March 1971. So it was only, it was less than a year. So this guy called Terry Fugate Wilcox, he had this gallery at 26 West 57th Street. Okay. But West 57th Street goes 24 and then 20 that there, there is no 26 <laughs> uh so there's no 26 thingamabob street yeah, wow. and so the whole thing was just made up cool. um and there are lots of photos in the book of um art that was in magazines um and people like bruce Nauman and totally my cup of tea obviously oh, wow. um and it's a really interesting story of a gallery it just was never a thing oh i have to check that out because we might we might we've got a um a contemporary curation master's program here and i want so i wonder if they've already got that for the library if they haven't it's really good yeah, yeah, it's cool. really good i'm reading it at the minute obviously i'm well aware of the conceptual movement etc but fascinating and the other thing that was really interesting to me was that he had done the reason he did it was just to end on a high note and then we'll yes. stop recording. The reason he did it was that he'd gone to a show. So in, in those days, I'd never heard of this, but to, to you and me going to an opening, you would go to an opening and there would be wine at the opening, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's like how every networks, right? But in those days, you would go to an opening and then after the opening, there'll be an after opening party. Right. That would be somewhere else. And I was like, what? Um, so, you know, you all go to see Mel Bochner in this gallery and then you got your invitation to go for drinks later, which is somewhere else. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he went to the somewhere else party and the artist was, let's say, called Sarah Jones. Right. And no one that they met there was there was i don't think it was a real person but when they said to all the people at this party do do you know the artist they were all like oh yes yes Um, but there was there was no such person and they'd say do you know is the artist here somewhere and every single person they spoke to was like um that's them over there and they would point like into the distance in a group of people and go that one yes over there over there and he said he was so frustrated and pissed off that people were basically lying um, that Weird. he decided he would just make this gallery to make it, to, to, to explore it further. Wow. Funny, funny. I did not know that. That's cool. All right. Well, let's push, let's press stop. I just, I started reading it again because I'd ordered it obviously because, um,